What's up? Welcome to Bow Down, the teaching ministry of Pastor Chris Tress. Amen. Let's go. Song of Songs, um, chapter one. Uh, we are in verse eight. And again, uh, these sermons, they build upon one another. If you've missed the first couple sermons in the Song of Songs, um, it's I was, I was laughing because we didn't get that far today in the earlier service. So, so it's like a, the little train that could chug, 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 up chapter one. We're just chugging up chapter one, okay? Hopefully chapter two will come, will come down, but uh, anyway. So, so we're starting in verse eight, and he, the king, which represents Jesus, is, is speaking to her. She has just said, man, don't gaze at me. Don't look at me, my my, my brothers were angry with me. They, they, they were kind of mean to me. And he responds back and he just says, oh, if you do not know, oh, most beautiful among women. And I said to highlight last week, every time he says beautiful, go ahead and highlight that because we're going to see it's multiple, multiple times through this book that he refers to her as beautiful. He says, you're beautiful. He also says, follow in the tracks of the flock and pasture your young goats beside the shepherd's tents. So if we look back up around six where where she is saying, my brothers were angry with me, that could be her experiencing some church hurt. Now, Am I the only one in here who's experienced some church hurt, or is there a couple other people? Yeah, no, we all have, and if you haven't, it's coming, baby. It's coming. I'm declaring that. We're at, we'll actually see the watchmen find her, and they do the right thing in, in one of the chapters, but then in one of the chapters, the watchmen find her, and they beat her. Who wants to get beat by the watchman, right? You're going to get hurt. You're going to have church hurt. When I came to volunteer around, I was 25 years old. I came out of a time in my life where I worked for a basketball coach, and I kind of put all of my eggs in his basket. And for two years, I was under his leadership and authority, And he was going in a certain direction. He promised me he was going to take me to a college that he had a job at. But right before we were about to go to that college, he gets arrested for soliciting a prostitute. And he loses his job. And I had just given two years of my life under his leadership because I wanted to be a college basketball coach. And I put... I attached my trailer to the wrong truck. Do you think I might have had some wounds with authority and leadership? Okay, then I go back to church. I connected with the guy there. Was that a retreat? Man, we were just jiving. The way he preached, oh, man, this guy, man, the word. I mean, just this guy, man, he's just anointed. And a few weeks later, he gets arrested for soliciting a prostitute he had a gun under his front seat of his car loaded as well, and I'm just like, oh, my gosh. So two figures in leadership 
I made a vow. And so some of you need to write this down if you're taking note. Have I made any vows? Have I made any vows towards the church, towards leadership, towards myself? Some of us have seen marriage gone really, really bad, and we say, I'm never getting married. Understand vows are the epitome of pride and arrogance because you're saying, apart from Christ, that you're not going to do something. Last time I checked, Jesus said in John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do what? Zero. So when you make a vow, that's pride and arrogance. You don't, you don't have the right to say what you're going to do and what you're not going to do apart from the Holy Spirit. And so vows that we make towards one another, towards ourselves, I'm never going to get married. Towards the church, towards leadership, I'm never going to submit again to another leader. So when I came and started serving at Urban Youth, I came in with a vow that I had against male authority, and I said, I'm never going to submit to another man again. Now, Bill, I don't know if I put that on my application to be a volunteer. Maybe we should add that, church, uh, to our applications for volunteers. Have you made any vows? Anyway, it's an inside joke, I guess, in the side of my head. That'd be funny. Um, So God had to have me come under leadership to redeem that, to fix that, to heal that. And I had to say, Father, forgive me, for I made a vow against every male leader. Forgive me for that. That was so prideful and arrogant. I'm going to trust authority. There's no authority that's perfect. That's why, I'm, I'm going to say it again, your church hurt is coming. It's going to happen. Listen, today is what? It's Good Friday. It's not Friday. It's, it's, it's Palm Sunday. Sorry. <laughs> Good Friday. Good Friday is coming. Hey, hey, be encouraged. I'm ahead of myself already. Leaders are always, no, I'm just kidding. The law of navigation. Um, Palm Sundays today. Forgive me, Lord. Help me. I need you. So Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, and they're throwing down palm fronds, and they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. You are amazing, Jesus. You are the king. We want you to rule and reign. And then a few days later, they're like, crucify him. Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Listen, that's us, guys. When Jesus doesn't do what we want him to do, I don't, I don't, I know I prayed this prayer, but I don't know if I really want to be all in with you. Because you're not doing what I wanted you to do. And because of circumstances not going the right way, we can sometimes make inner vows even against Jesus, and go from one week worshiping him, saying Hosanna, to one week joining those who crucified him. 
So she is coming out of some hurt because of her brothers. And I just want to just lay at your feet, church. Are there any vows you've made against the church? Have you made any vows against the church? You might want to deal with that and ask God to help you with that. Church planters joke around when we say, if you can't find the perfect church, go plant your own, but then don't join it because you'll ruin it, right? (laughs) Does that make sense? Yeah. Guys, we follow one that is perfect because we're not perfect. We need a Savior. And so he says, follow the tracks. Get in the flock. Follow the tracks. There's people, church, that have gone before you. So so right now, I'm reading three different commentaries on the Song of Songs because there's people that have gone before me. And I just don't want to discount them thinking that I'm all that in a bag of chips because I'm not. I want to learn from those who have went before me, who have been in the text. So I want to check what I'm getting with what they've got. It's important for us to be in the flock of God. I want you to turn to Proverbs 18.1, please. Last week, I hit pornography pretty hard. Last week, we talked about that and, 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 and what it is, but, but I, but I want to leave you this week with five steps to get free from that. And not only is this not pornography, this would deal, this would deal with alcoholism, this would deal with drugs, this would deal with... This would deal with food addictions, any addiction, anything that is, that is running your life. This will help you get free. So uh, just on a personal note, um, God has showed, told me to, 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 to work out. So um, there's, a, there, there's a verse that says, if you don't work, you don't eat, okay? So I've, I've added a little to the text and I told my wife and kids, if I don't work out, I'm not going to eat that day. I haven't asked them to hold me accountable. I'm just throwing it out there. It's a good idea. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm asking them to hold me accountable. If I, if I don't work out, then I'm not going to eat the next day, right? You're going to see me all kind of, anyway, I'm just kidding. Rob, I'm, gonna come, I'm coming for you, bro. Anyway. Proverbs 18.1, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. This is really, really important. If I isolate myself, it means I'm prideful. Now, this is why it's important that we, uh, I'm not trying to say that to condemn anybody because there may be reasons why you're staying by yourself. It may be because you've been hurt in the past. It may be you opened up to somebody and they let you down, and so you don't want to do it again. I'll never forget the time I was at, I was, somebody was new to our church, and I said, hey, would you get in, uh, we have house churches, so you can get to know the body of Christ, and so uh, why don't you get into a house church? And the person responded back to me by saying, yeah, we, uh, we don't do small groups, we don't do house church. I said, why not? He said, the last house uh, kind of home church we were at, at our old church, the whole house church, everybody got divorced. I'm like, oh man. And so what a, yeah, I probably wouldn't join a house church either. So I understand 
if there's reasons why inside you're not wanting to open up, but one of the reasons may be also that you're seeking your own desire. You don't want account. Do you think I wanted to tell you if I don't work out, I don't eat? No, I don't. And, and, and don't be saying, hey, Chris, how you doing with that? I don't want to hear that. Don't ask me. Don't, no account of, no, see? I, I, I didn't throw it out to the first service, too many people. Here, I'm throwing it out because hoping some of you will forget. No. You need to ask me next week, how many meals did you miss? Because my stuff's out there. We got to get our stuff out there because we need one another. I like AA because they say, hey, find a sponsor. Find a mentor. At meetings, AA... They, they kind of do a little bit better than the church. People understand when they're at those meetings that they're there because they're broken and they need help. And they're being real with how their week went. It's not just kind of the what I see in, in a lot of groups. It's kind of like a breakfast club where we're just talking and we're talking about this and we're talking about that and we're just sharing information, how the doctor's appointment went and blah, 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 blah. And No, do you have someone in your life that is holding you accountable to what is going on in your life, speaking into your life, where you can share everything, being transparent and vulnerable, just opening yourself up. Do you have that? Listen, there is a reason why Jesus sent people out in twos and not in ones. It's amazing to me how every church calls a pastor, why don't we call two pastors? That's a budgeting issue, but anyway. <laughs> they try to get the two for one with the wife working 40 hours a week anyway. If you're not in a house church or if you are in a house church, hey, go to the leader and just open up and say, hey, man, I'm, I, I could use some accountability. If there's somebody that you know, hey, would you be my accountability partner? I'm going to give you five keys to freedom through accountability in the flock of God. I know that's a long statement. Five keys to freedom, okay? <laughs> but in the context of in the flock of God, in the flock of God. She says, follow the tracks. Well, listen, there's people that have gone before you that can help you get free in this church right now. You don't have to go alone. Um, I'm going to share with you how I overcame my porn, porn addiction over 21 years ago. 21 years, I have not looked at a pornographic website I have not looked at pornography in 21 years. Now, prior to that, okay, before Christ, it would be three, four times a day. Just constant looking, gazing, addiction. Just, stra just completely addicted. Now, listen, I say this to you in all humility because if God takes his hand off me, I will be like a dog going back to my vomit. So I do not say this with pride, but I say this from a heart that wants you to be free. 
not only with pornography, but just whatever that you're struggling with. These five things will help you get free. And if you do these things, I'll be shocked if you don't become free. I'll be shocked. Nothing's a silver bullet, okay? But I'll be blown away if you don't come into freedom. So here's the deal. Number one, get an accountability partner and Understand this, we have a wrong definition of accountability. Accountability is not telling someone after you do it. It's telling someone when you're tempted. Accountability is telling someone when you're tempted. This is the cry, and I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 10, 13, please. This is the cry of the prayer. Lead me not into temptation, right? As disciples, we don't We don't want to tell people after we do something. We want to tell someone when we're tempted. We want to bring someone into our temptation. Ultimately, it's Jesus as you walk with him. Okay, Jesus, I'm feeling led to get on this pornographic website. And so I just want to bring you into that right now. I want to bring you into that right now. That's the kind of relationship that Jesus wants with us, by the way. He doesn't want a fake relationship with you. Like, you're you're not bringing him the hard stuff because then he'll reject you. No, no, no. He died for you because he loves you. And he wants you to bring him into everything. You can't clean yourself up, then come to him. No, you have to come to him and he can clean you up. And here's the deal. The reality is when you view that or when you do that, you are bringing him into it anyway because he has promised he's never going to leave you or forsake you. He, you are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are his temple. So you're bringing it into, you're bringing him into it, whether you verbally acknowledge that or not, because he is never going to leave you or forsake you. What you watch, you're making Jesus watch. And sometimes we're not at that place spiritually. This is why I'm saying, man, get your, get your bros, get your sisters and say, hey, I want to bring you into my temptation. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says, no temptation has overtaken you. It's that is not common to man. One of the lies of the enemy is that he makes you believe that what you're dealing with is special and is unique and you can't tell anybody because they're going to reject you. Yours is just way worse than the average. And so just keep that to yourself because you don't want church hurt again. You don't want to be disappointed again. Listen, that is not God. What you're dealing with, whatever temptation you're dealing with, it's common. It's common. It's not special. Your sin is not special. It's common. And then he says, he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. This is really important for the believer to believe, and most believers don't believe this. This is why the Word of God is more important than what you think and what you feel. We don't stuff down feelings. We bring them to the light. I hear Christians say, the devil made me do it. Well, number one, the devil cannot make you do anything. 
God, James 1, doesn't tempt, but you are drawn away by your own sinful desires. Why are you giving in to your temptation? Say, it's my fault. Say it. It's my fault. Yeah. It's your fault. It's my fault. I, I, he says he's not going to let me tempted beyond my ability. So, so he's not going to let me be so overwhelmed by a temptation that I'm not going to be able to handle it. Oh, I just couldn't handle it, bro. It was too much. Oh, you didn't see her, dude. She was like, stop it. Stop it. But with the temptation, this is key, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Here's the issue with me. I see the ways of escape, but I don't take it because in my heart I don't want it. So I'm not even looking for my way out when the temptation comes because I love my sin more than I love God. And it's okay to say that to God. I love this more than I love you. I know it's not right. Please change me. He always, not most of the time, not some of the time, he is always making a way of escape. Whenever you're tempted, there's an escape hatch that's there. And the heart of a disciple says, okay, God, oh, man, I'm really, really overwhelmed right now with temptation, but where is my escape? Where is my escape? This is why you need to memorize this verse, by the way. And so one of the ways of escape I'm giving it to you, point number one, your accountability partner. So if Dave is my accountability partner, hey, Dave, whenever I'm tempted, I'm calling you, bro. Are you good with that? Yeah, I'm good with that. And Dave becomes my way of escape. And I ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, please, please, please. You're my helper. You're my helper. You're my comforter, right? And you are going to lead me and guide me into all truth. Whenever I'm tempted, may there be a natural reaction, like new train tracks built in my way of thinking, that when temptation comes, I think, Dave. Dave. Some of us are thinking Wendy's right now. Don't do that. Not that Dave. Temptation comes, Dave. Does that make sense, guys? That's point number one. Point number two, we started fasting for one another. I got with my bros, and we came up with a plan, a battle plan that says, hey, if one of us falls, we're going to fast for one another, but we want you to eat. The person that falls, he keeps eating, but his brothers... No greater love is anyone than this than when they lay down their life for their what? Their friends, their brothers, right? Man, so when I fall into sin, I, res- I keep eating because I want to be reminded of the grace of God, the cross, that I don't get what I deserve. And so I want to eat. I don't want to be rude, by the way, getting uh, chicken wings uh, delivered to the house. All right, that's not cool. But my brothers, man, they're going to fast for me. But then we, we also said, hey, if you do it again, the brothers are going to fast two days. If you do it again, three days. If you do it again, four days. If you do it again, five. 
hey, listen, I can't remember what we got up to, but I think it was like six or seven days. And we almost had to go Old Testament with the right hand of fellowship. Hey, bro, if you do that again, homie, we're going Old Testament on you. I'm hungry up in here, getting all skinny. Listen, we're either going to have a skinny church or a holy church. What kind of love is that, guys? Then we lay down our life for our friends, man. This is why you might not want a big accountability group. <laughs> hey, that's where we are. Keep it small. <laughs> anyway. We're members of one another. So point number two, we started fasting for, number, for one another. Number three, I want you to write this down, please. My struggle's not real. So much of the world... Um, struggle, bro. You don't know the struggle, man. Struggle's real. Well, if it, yeah, turn to Hebrews 12, 4, please. (laughs) And sometimes we can, we could be so enamored by how the world thinks and what the world says. Hebrews 12, 4. We've got to define struggle like the Bible defines struggle. We got to be look, we have to begin to look at things from a biblical perspective and not what the world keeps saying. Like, the, you don't know my struggle. You don't know my struggle. Quit saying that. Here's what I want you to say. Hebrews 12, 4. It says, in your struggle against sin, you've not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Your struggle, biblically, is not a real struggle unless blood is dripping out of your forehead. Jesus, in the garden, he's praying, and he's saying, I'm about to face the cross here. Father, if you can take this cup away, yet, 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 not my will, but yours be done. And blood is literally dripping out of his forehead in the garden of Gethsemane. That is a real struggle. When you're bleeding is a real struggle. And I'm not trying to be insensitive because I know a lot of people are struggling, but I want you to come up to biblical struggle. I can't stop Wait a minute, were you bleeding? Were you bleeding? Were you bleeding? Number four, we memorize scripture together. We memorize scripture together. I want you to turn to Psalm 119, please. Scripture memory is so important for the disciples. So, for for example, you know, God always makes a way of escape. He's never going to give me a temptation that I cannot handle. I'm going to be able to overcome every temptation. Think about that. What What a statement. Every temptation, if you're a Christian, every temptation for the rest of your life, you will overcome it. It is not God's purpose for you to give in to your temptation. You have the strength to overcome it. He's promised that. That's why 1 Corinthians 10, 13 was so important. So Psalm 119, verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. As a young Christian, I met this guy. 
who had been free from porn and also self-pleasure for three years. And I looked at him like he was an alien as an early Christian because I'm like, holy cow, number one, we have to do that. Number two, how in the world can you do that? Like, I'm a single guy, bro. This is the verse he gave me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. By guarding it according to the word of God. This is why scripture memory is just so important. And then you see the cry, the cry. See, when the, when the word of God is, is, is in you, guys, uh, it, it, it has a guarding element to your life. Then it says in verse 10, with my whole heart I seek you. David is crying out with his whole heart, whole heart, I seek you. But let me not wander from your commands. There's this choice of the will with my whole heart, I seek you, but also the humility and the frailty where like, God, if you take your hand off me, don't let me wander from your commandments. The beauty of humility right there. Verse 11, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Our kids, we... We, we kept playing everywhere we went in the car when they were little, these, this album called Seeds, Seeds of Worship. And so everywhere we would go, and they would sing these songs. It was all scripture verses to music. It was kind of corny, but it's all good. By the time they were five years old, six years old, they memorized 50 verses. And why did we do that? People were like, oh, that's legalism. Let them learn it from themselves. No, their little sinful, corrupt hearts. They need to get God's word in them because the word has the power to stop us from sinning when we treasure it. Now, listen, no kid is going to say, yeah, mom, pass the donuts. Please give me the vegetables. I want the broccoli. But as a good parent, do you just give them donuts all the time? No, because you're going to ruin them. Broccoli, chopping broccoli. They need the broccoli. They don't want the broccoli. So that's why I had to lead my kids till they learned how to lead themselves. I'm no longer saying you have to memorize this verse, you have to memorize that verse. They're at the age, hey, you're on your own. But when they're little, I had to get God's word into it because I trust the word of God has the ability to keep people from sinning. I want you to turn to 1 Thessalonians 4, please. First Thessalonians 4. Parents, have a verse for the week that you memorize with your kids. Keep the word in in their little hearts. Challenge them, reward them. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. It says, for this is the will of God. A lot of people come forward. I, I just want to know God's will. Okay. Here it is. Your sanctification. Sanctification means that you're set apart for the purposes of God. You're set apart. And the will of God is that you abstain from sexual morality. That's sex outside of the marriage bed. That would be pornography. That would be, you know, uh, self-pleasure. Like, that's God's will. 
Sometimes people, they want to know God's will, but then it's already written and they don't want to do what's already been written. This is God's will. That's nothing you need to pray about. Verse 4, each one of you, that doesn't mean just the pastor, oh, those people that are real mature in Christ, no, each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And God's will for you and I is that we are always under the control of the Holy Spirit and we're not, verse 5, moving in passions of lust. That we're not led by lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. It shows that people might not know God if they're led by lust all the time. This is what Scripture's saying. It's one thing for you to fall and you're trying to get free and you're saying, hey, I need accountability. I want to memorize scripture. I want to fast and pray. I need help. I need help. It's another thing to fall and be like, oh, that's all right. Jesus forgives. I'm going to just keep doing that. that, that if that's your kind of MO, there's a concern for me that the presence of the Holy Spirit, which is holy, might not be in you. You might not be born again. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. Giving into sin is bad for your health. Verse 6, that no one should transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger of all these things as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. So this is scripture that should probably be memorized if you're struggling in this area. Like, God, I want your will, but I want this more than I want your will. Please change me. Other verses that I memorized, Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus is like, hey, whoever looks lustfully, and that Greek word is blepo, it means a continual looking. Whoever looks lustfully at another woman has committed adultery in his heart. It's better for you to gouge out your eyes. Not that you need to literally gouge out your eyes, but Jesus is saying, man, this is serious. This is serious. You're on a road that will lead to hell. Job 31, I've made a covenant with my eyes. I will not look lustfully at another woman. And us guys, man, have we said that to the Lord? Oh, God, keep my eyes pure. Keep them focused on on you, on, on the bride that you have me, so that I would not look lustfully at another woman. And also, ladies, listen, in love, I say this. Some of us guys have made that covenant with God, and you ain't helping a brother. We have a responsibility before God, and we can't blame, and it's not your fault, but help a brother out. And it can go the same way with the fellas, okay? That's why I try to dress really bad every week. All right, so I've given you four things so far. Accountability, it's not telling after. We started fasting for one another. That was number two. Number three, your struggle's not real. Quit saying that. Number four, <laughs> memorize verses together. Number five, what's my action plan? What's my action plan, right? We all know the saying, if we fail to plan, I'm planning to fail. 
right? We're at war here. We're going to be shot here. And so the first thing that I need to do is when the last time I fell, what was I feeling? What were my emotions? What were my triggers, if you will? For me personally, I noticed when I would feel depressed, when I would feel overwhelmed, then I would begin to kind of isolate myself and then I would fall. And so what I want to do as a disciple is I want to go back to where I fell and I want to backtrack to say, okay, Holy Spirit of God, what was I feeling? What was the emotion? That's really, really important. Why? Because in that place, I want to bring Jesus into that, but also my accountability. Because I know where this road could potentially lead me. It's why some of you, you need that cup of coffee, but you're trying to eat healthy. You don't go in to Dunkin' Donuts and smell the freshness of those. You make that way of escape and you go through the drive-thru, right? You have to think about Okay, if this is where I end, how did I get there? And now can I begin to make my plan around that? Also, where do I fall usually? So, for example, if you're struggling with alcohol, you don't want to go into a bar that happens to, you're just there for the chicken wings. You don't want to put yourself in that place. You want to avoid that place where you usually fall. So for us guys, hey, sometimes it's a shower where we would fall. So I just don't go into the shower, but I go into the shower playing worship music. And I set up my, my phone or my radio and I put in the worship. And some of us don't need to take our phone into shower or to the bathroom. We put on worship music. We got old school with a CD player. And we keep it in there. And we press play when we go in there. So that we have a battle plan that's ready. And that battle plan, by the way, needs to be told to our accountability group so that they're asking us questions, so that they're helping us get ready because this is something that you are called to overcome. This is something that you are called to walk in victory in. And guys, look. I'm just a dude here, but 21 years ago, right, I got serious with my bros. We got serious, and we got free together, free together. Robert, that was with James and Andy, by the way. We got free together. We got free together. And so I I give you this this week. Guys, follow the tracks of the flock. 21 years ago, I had nothing to say to you. Maybe that's why Bow Down Church wasn't planted until 2011, okay? Only 11 years ago. I had to stay in the flock of God and follow the tracks of those before me, right? Bill Hobbs and I, we meet every week. There's hard questions that we've talked about, discussions, struggles, trials, prayer, open, reading books. Like like we've read the book, Search for Significance together. I am completely accepted in the beloved. I'm completely forgiven, right? Like 
truths that, that Bill's prayed over me because I had areas of my life where I was trying to perform, trying to perform, trying to perform, but I had to bring somebody into that who himself struggled with performance but is ahead of me, and I got to follow his tracks. This is why you please, you got to get past the church hurt. You've got to be in the tracks. You've got to follow. You've got to be. Listen, we're a real church here. We're not going to condemn you because that's not the Holy Spirit. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We are all broken people. We are all people in need of a Savior. It's why we're here. We've acknowledged that we have sinned against a holy God. We're not holy. He's holy, but, but, but he came to save us from our sin, not so we can keep walking in it. Galatians 5.1, for freedom he has called you free, so don't go back into bondage. We get free, then we go back into bondage. Just like the Israelites, they got freed. Oh, it was better in Egypt. It was better in slavery. No, guys, we're called to freedom, freedom, freedom. And it's here for everyone, everyone. All right, Song of Songs 1, verse 9. Katie, I I feel like somebody comes through in her healing, they got to have accountability set up because it's like, like, so our prayer ministry, right? You go in there, you might talk about vows, you might talk about struggles, you might talk about this or that, but then you... You leave the accountability room, and then there's nobody that's, like, holding you accountable for what was just done. And it's like, guys, we've got to have... Jesus sent people out in twos. We need one another. We need one another. Verse 9. It says, I compare you my love. He's saying you're mine. This speaks of ownership. You're my love. You're my love. He's speaking to her, adoring her. And, she, and he says, to, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. Now, fellas, listen, if you're trying to spit game to a girl, don't call her. Girl, you're like a horse to me. That's not going to go good. Like a horse. (laughs) What this scripture is saying is that the best horses, they came from Egypt. And the best of the best would be pulling Pharaoh's chariots. See, Song of Songs 1-4, she cries out and she says to him, let us run together. He's answering her by saying, you are running. And you are, you are one bad horse, mama. And we are running fast and we are running swift and nothing's hinder us. You are pulling the king. You are amazing. Now, Jeremy, if you could put up the picture here. Right here, if you don't know, that is the most expensive car in the world, according to Google. It's $18.7 million. It's a specific kind of car called a Bugatti. 
Bugatti. Uh, why am I putting that up? This is, this is what, what's going on in our modern-day translation, okay? So let's get, get out of Pharaoh and the horses. Um, <clears throat> you're looking at yourself like you're a Yugo or a Pinto or some broken-down car just making it down the road, and God's looking at you through the lens of the cross, and he's saying, oh, baby, you're my Bugatti. Say I'm his Bugatti. Woo! I'm his Bugatti. And he's speaking over us how much he loves us and how he sees us and his affections for us. But guess what? We're still in verse 6. Don't gaze at me. Don't, get, don't look at me. I see all my weaknesses. Part of my biggest issue over the years as a Christian is I focus too much on what's wrong with me, and I'm not doing enough, and I got to work on this, and it's all this stuff of navel-gazing. When the reality is, his blood speaks over me. You are my son in whom I'm well pleased. You are my son, you are my daughter, and I am so pleased with you. I love you. You're my Bugatti. Verse 10, your cheeks are lovely with ornaments. Go ahead and put your face on your cheek real quick, or your hand, your face on your cheek. I said something dumb last service too, like, anyway. Um, (laughs) So when you smile, what happens to your cheeks? They move, don't they? They move. And this is an expression of, of emotion. It's your cheeks. Your cheeks, they're just lovely with like ornaments. They're just glorious. And that's what he's declaring. And then it says your, your neck, and I want you to highlight neck, with strings of jewels. Another translation says chains of gold. He is adoring her because of her neck. Now, I want you to keep your place here. I want you to turn to Ezekiel 16. The Israelites, they were often referred to as a stiff-necked people. And this represents a stubbornness, by the way, that we all have. We can all be stiff-necked. And so right now, you need to be asking, Holy Spirit, is there any area of my life where I'm being stiff-necked? Ezekiel 16, 6. This is the story of our life, but this is Israel in the Old Testament, but it's, it's really us. Verse 6, it says, when I pass by you, And I saw you wallowing in your blood. I said to you, in your blood, live. And I said to you, in your blood, live. I made you flourish like a plant of the field. And you grew up and you became tall and arrived at full adornment. Your breasts were formed and your hair had grown, yet you were naked and bare. 
When I passed you again, I saw you. Behold, you were at the age for love, and I spread the corner of my garment over you, and I covered your nakedness, and I made a a vow to you. This is a good vow because it's from God who keeps his vows, and he makes them always out of love. I made a vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord, and you became mine. Oh, thank you, God, for the covenant over here on the table that represents your broken body and your shed blood for us. We celebrate that covenant that you made with us. Verse 9, then I bathed you with water and I washed off your blood and anointed you with oil. I also clothed you with embroidered cloth and shod your feet with fine leather, leather, um, it reminds us of, of the prodigal son, right? The ring and the, and the robe and the shoes, right? I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk. I adorned you with ornaments, and I put bracelets on your wrist and a what? A chain on your neck. Chain on your neck. And I put a ring on your nose. I guess, Riley, you can get a, a nose ring. That is biblical, so... And earrings in your ears. And a be- <laughs> uh, sorry, parents of teenagers. But it is the word. No, I'm just Yeah, uh, ears and a beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver. Your clothing was of fine linen and silk and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour and honey and oil. You grew up exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty, and your renown went forth among the nations because of your beauty, for it was perfect through the splendor that I had bestowed upon you, declares the Lord. God is declaring this over his people, his bride, but then, verse 15, but you trusted in your beauty, and you played the whore because of your renown, and lavished your whorings on any passerby, and your beauty became his. You gave your beauty to another. That's a stiff-necked group of people that God blessed and blessed and blessed, and then they went after other lovers. That's why the book of Hosea is written. It represents the the, 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 the wife who's a prostitute who keeps leaving her husband, but the prophet's like, go get her, go get her. God's like, go get her to the prophet, and he rescues her and brings her back. And guys, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be stiff-necked anymore in my life. See, the neck, it represents a submission. I'm coming under submission to the king of kings. When a king would conquer another king... He would bring them back in a procession into the hometown, and he would take the king that was conquered. He'd lay him down on the ground, and he would take his foot, and he would put it on the neck of the king, signifying to everybody, we have conquered. True Christians, they put their neck under Jesus and say, put your yoke upon me. I want your yoke to come around my neck, King Jesus. I don't, want my, I don't want my neck to be outside of that yoke anymore. Why? Because I'm prone to wander. I'm prone to go after other lovers. I'm prone to this. Keep me yoked up with you, God. And that needs to be the cry of every disciple that's here today. Oh, Jesus, I bend my neck. 
And he looks at her and he says, you are, your neck is glorious. Your neck is glorious. So, disciple, are you stiff-necked in any way? Are you stiff-necked in any way? Can you, here's, a, here's another question that will show whether or not you get, you're stiff-necked. Can you be, I was caught off guard. I was loved, yeah, thanks, Bill. <laughs> And as I'm sitting and they're coming at me, you do this and you do this and you do this, all of a sudden I find up in me, my neck starts getting stiffened up. Oh, you don't understand and you don't know and you're not, you don't know me. And I looked across the room at my two older brothers, Bill Hobbs and John Stanko, and I'll never forget John Stanko sitting there with his arms crossed and he's like this. And basically it was, Chris, shut your mouth and just listen. Don't be stiff-necked. Just take it. See, Jesus gave his back to those who were persecuting him. And what I thought was unfair treatment, unjust treatment, done in a wrong way, right? I just needed to sit there and listen and take it. And not respond, not react, not try to justify, not try to deflect, not try to blame. I just need to take it. I need to bend my neck down and not be stiff neck. Now, listen, some of you, when you get confronted, you might not like it and you want to kind of respond back. But ask the Lord, is there 1% true here? Even if it's 99% wrong, is there 1% true? Because I want to repent of that 1%. I want to own that 1%. If you have a heart like that, you're not going to be known as a stiff-necked person. You'll be a person that, Scripture says this, if you rebuke a wise person, they'll love you. But if you rebuke a fool, they will hate you. You can tell if somebody's stiff-necked if you rebuke them and they don't like you. A wise person will say thank you for speaking into my life. I'm going to take that to my father and I'm going to press into him to see what he says. We should love rebukes. Rebuke from a friend is better than kisses from an enemy. We need rebuked. I need rebuked. I pray it always happens in love though. All right, verse 11 and then we're done. These are the others. Remember we said a few weeks ago that they represent potentially well-meaning Christians, but also immature Christians. Uh, These people are like, hey, we're going to make for you ornaments of gold studded with silver. We're going to focus on the outside. They're concerned and consumed with the outside. What's going on with the outward appearance? We can do this to others in the church. You remember when David was going to fight Saul? That Saul said, hey, um, I want you to wear my armor. And when David put it on, it says, ah, this just doesn't fit. It's not me. But a lot of times in the church, we can do that to one another, thinking that, hey, 
this is how it worked for me, so it's got to work like this for you. Or this is, this is how you need to do X, Y, and Z. And, and the reality is God may be doing something different in your life. I gave you five points to get free. Like, those aren't the only ways to get free, but that worked for me. But you don't have to do that. If you do it, I bet you'll get free. But if you don't want to do it and you have a better way and it works, do it. We're not trying to put Saul's armor on you. You be who God made you to be. We can also do this to ourselves. When we see somebody in the church that's mature or maybe famous, it's a great singer, songwriter, person that prays, just they pray the paint off the wall when they pray. And so we think, I got to pray just like them. And I need to use the these and the thous and the thines in the King James language so I can pray just like them. No, you be you. You be you. You be you. And so I, I get a little loud sometimes. If some of you don't get loud sometimes, and you're not in recovery like me, and you're just calm all the time, you be you. You be you. Be who God's made you to be. We also try to do this collectively where, hey, this church does it this way, and this church does it that way, and we need to do it like this. This is, this is why the Quakers were called Quakers, because they would sit in a chair, and they would put their hands on their um, legs like this, and they would wait for the Holy Spirit to come. When the Holy Spirit come, they would just start quaking and shaking. That's where they got their name, Quakers from, right? And so if you come from that background, you might come into Baudon and say, hey, the Holy Spirit's really not going to fall unless you sit down in a chair and sit like this for 20 minutes. We do that a lot, don't we? Oh, it has to be done this way. It has to be done that way. This is how my old church does it, and we can do it collectively. I was laughing with uh, Nestor a few weeks ago that at one of the churches he was at was they had catchers all the time. People come forward for prayer, and then somebody would stand behind and catch the person when they fell down. But he was telling me there was this one lady who fell down every single week, and so they removed the catcher on purpose, and she hit the floor, and that, he told me that was, the last, <laughs> that was the last time she did that. So again, at Bow Down, we don't do catchers here because we believe if the Holy Spirit brings you down, he will catch you. So you're on your own, just letting you know. Do I hope you go down? Yeah, I hope you go down. But there's no, no catchers. We don't have a job description for that. We don't have a volunteer form to fill out for catchers. We trust that if God brings you down, he's going to catch you. Amen? Amen? A lot of times people come back from church conferences, and they have books and ideas, and they say, man, you can really grow your church if you do this. And I, I just want to kindly say, hey, we welcome, um, we welcome feedback, we welcome that stuff, but understand, we're not trying to grow a church here at Bow Down, we're trying to grow people. Amen. We're trying to make disciples. And so I want you to turn to Matthew 5.1. When making disciples, we kind of preach differently, we speak differently. Um, it might not be what you're used to. But we're not going after crowds, we're going for disciples. And so look at the methodology of Jesus. Who is the one we follow? Matthew 5.1. 
It says, seeing the crowds, seeing the crowds, seeing the crowds. Jesus went up on the mountain. Think about that for a second. A lot of our culture, we want to acquiesce towards the crowds. How can we get more crowds here? Jesus saw the crowds, and he went up on the mountain. Like, crowds don't want to walk up the mountain. The mountain represents hardship. The mountain represents trial. The mountain represents struggle. It is hard. And some of you are like, Chris, it's hard to sit through your sermon. It's okay. It's okay. When he sat down, his disciples came to him. You see, the disciples are going to walk up the mountain. The disciples are going to want hard teaching. The disciples are going to want, just just give it to me raw. Crowds often, they just, please tickle my ears. Please tell me one. Will you motivate me, please? I want to go out of here feeling encouraged. Well, let me encourage you to repent. Well, if the shoe fits but it was kind of a joke. We've got to be very careful that we become who God has made us to be and not trying to put ornaments and different things on ourselves, on each other. Just be who God's made you to be. And yeah, can we learn from other churches? Of course. I'm not meaning any disrespect, but I do get people telling me a lot that, Chris, people, if you keep preaching like this, you're not going to get a lot of people. Understand, that's never my goal. It never will be my goal. We want people to grow, and growth comes through really, really getting into God's word in a deep way. This isn't an entertainment. This isn't a show. We're giving you things now that you can do. You can do. You can add to your life. The worship team, come on up, please. Prayer partners, if you could come forward. Father, I thank you for the church. It's your bride. That you continue to wash in the water of your word so that she is radiant, without blemish, as she walks in splendor. Help us, God, as a church, to follow the tracks and honor those that have went before us. Help us, God to really, really press into community, God. Help us not to walk alone. God, I pray for those that are struggling, and and, and God, I pray these five things, God, that they would really take them to heart, and they would get accountability, and they would begin to do the things so they can experience the freedom that your blood paid for, God. Father, help us to receive that we are lovely. That we're running with you. That your blood, your blood has cleansed us from all of our sins. 
And we are now perfect in your eyes. We pray off condemnation. We pray off guilt. We pray off the shame of our past, God. And we just say, yes, Lord, come and gaze at us because in your eyes we find peace through the blood of your cross. And help us, God, to be content with who you've made us to be. Help us never to try to put what we think people should do on them. Help us not try to be like or pray like someone else, sing like. We're special in how you've made us. And may we be content in the fact that you have said that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, created in your image and in your likeness. And we're unique in this world. May we walk in the freedom of who you've created us to be. We throw off every shackle. We want to become like you, Jesus, in our own unique way. And so help us now to sing to you, to bless you, to love you, God, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Thank you for your word, God. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for visiting us today. Make sure to check us out online at www.bowdownchurch.com.